From Washington, this is the CQ Budget Podcast, your leading Capitol Hill source on how Congress allocates federal taxpayer dollars. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Schott, budget appropriations reporter. And hang on to something, folks, because the House is actually going to vote on appropriations bills next week. Uh, The long-delayed process is really getting started. The fiscal year begins October 1st, as you know, and House members are eager to show that they are at least pretending to make some progress here in getting things moving. Uh, Jen, what's the game plan? What should we expect to see on the House floor, and what is it going to mean for the process? Yeah, so these will be the first appropriations bills of this year to head to either floor of Congress, uh, and the House will be taking up seven of the dozen annual appropriations bills as one package, um, which you'll be hearing the term minibus a lot next week, because uh, that is what these sort of clumps of appropriations bills are referred to when they move as one bill and one floor vote, as opposed to moving individually And that will be the Agriculture, Energy, Water, Financial Services, Interior Environment, Labor, HHS Education, Military Construction, VA, and Transportation HUD measures. Um, And there is the possibility that the House may take up an additional three bills next week somehow, either individually or packaged. Um, But there's no final decisions been made yet. And the three bills that have been put on the schedule Um, but whose fate is very uncertain is Commerce, Justice, Science, Legislative Branch, and State Foreign Ops. And so basically what this means is that the House, um, particularly House Democrats, because these these bills don't have Republican support, are moving forward with government funding for the upcoming fiscal year, which is expected to begin October 1st. And this is going to bring a lot of contentious debates to the House floor, uh, including on, you know, sort of the central topic of the year, which is whether or not um, the federal government should fund abortion services. Um, And so that is something that's going to be very contentious um, and will likely take up a lot of debate time, even if the House Rules Committee does not allow an amendment um, from all House Republicans to add that provision back into the spending bill um, to move forward. We still expect Republicans to make this a central debate issue next week. Right. And this, so these seven bills, this is something like a $640 billion package for the upcoming fiscal year. And that does include the biggest non-defense bill of the year. That's this massive bill for the uh, it's called Labor HHS Education that funds the Department of Health and Human Services is the main thing. Education and labor departments also. And you bring up this, this big contentious point that, that could derail this whole bill, right? Because this, we should say this Hyde Amendment, um, for people who aren't familiar, this has been a longstanding policy rider in, in annual appropriations bills saying no federal funding for abortions except in very limited circumstances of rape, incest, or protecting the life of the mother. Um, But that's sort of been the truce that both parties have relied on in the abortion wars, no federal funding. Uh, And House Democrats are making a push this year for the first time to strip that language out of their bills, much to the consternation of all Republicans, and so we're having a heated war here. We know Republicans are going to battle to restore the Hyde language. What does it mean, Jen? I mean, can this really move forward without the Hyde language in there? 
That is the big question right now that Democrats are trying to figure out ahead of floor consideration next week. Uh, House Appropriations Chair Rosa DeLauro has said that she, um, it's her intention to keep that Hyde Amendment out of the Labor HHS education bill. Um, but we don't yet know if House Democrats will potentially try to add it back in before floor debate as a way to possibly avoid a roll call vote on an amendment to add Hyde and several other provisions addressing federal funding for abortion into this package. Um, because it isn't just the Hyde Amendment in labor HHS education that Democrats have removed. There are other provisions uh, throughout many of the 12 annual spending bills that included uh, funding restrictions for federal funding for abortion services. And so this isn't something that just impacts one provision in one bill. This is actually something that Democrats have kind of removed all those funding limitations that have been in uh, added into appropriations bills throughout the years. And so there, you know, I think there's a lot of vote counting behind the scenes right now, particularly among moderate Democrats in the House, about whether or not they will be able to support this seven bill package if it does not include those funding restrictions. Right. And I mean, Democrats know that they have that by doing this, by removing the high language, they're setting themselves up for a real problem this fall when they try to get a compromise, right? Because in the 50-50 split Senate, where you need bipartisan support to advance spending bills, this just isn't going to fly, right? So, I mean, they know that they're, they're setting themselves up for a clash with the Senate down the road over this, over this abortion funding issue. Yeah, but Democrats, particularly progressive Democrats, have been raising this issue for years uh, and during his campaign for president, uh, Joe Biden said that he did support removing the Hyde Amendment uh, from this annual funding bill. Uh, and particularly last summer, when the House Appropriations Committee was marking up last year's round of appropriations bills, we really started to hear uh, about intentions from Deloro and several other Democrats to remove you know, all of these provisions from spending bills and really try to address this because they do view this uh, as part of their sort of push to address racial inequity throughout the country, uh, because one of the areas, you know, that does receive funding and the, the funding restriction applies to is the Medicaid program. And so we've heard from several Democrats, particularly those uh, that are a bit more progressive in the House Democratic Conference, that they view this as an issue that impacts low-income women uh, and women of color. And so they view it as something that doesn't give the same healthcare access uh, to women who are poorer, as opposed to women who may have, um, you know, private insurance and things like that. And so this is something that uh, they really view as, you know, sort of a fundamental change they want to make to the way the U.S. government approaches this aspect. And of course, Republicans do not view it that way at all. They really view this as uh, you know, they're sort of talking about it in context of morality and how, you know, American taxpayers don't want their funding to go through abortion services. And so Republicans are saying that this has been uh, sort of a sort of fragile agreement between the parties uh, for decades now and that they want it to remain in place. Right. And we should say beyond this abortion dispute, all of these House bills advanced through committee on party line votes or mostly party line votes. Uh, as is typical on the House side, because whoever's the majority party each year can 
can ram through their priorities because they only need a majority vote. But they're all party line votes with partisan priorities in them. Uh, and so they're all mostly because Republicans have, are objecting to these bills en masse uh, because of a fundamental dispute here over spending levels, right? Where Republicans want a lot more defense spending and Democrats want a lot more non-defense spending and they can't agree on that. And so all these bills are advancing on a, in party line votes with a clash to come later this fall. Right. And so House Democrats have, for the most part, uh, written the appropriations bills to more or less the levels in President Biden's budget request. So that includes about a 16.5% increase for domestic and foreign aid programs uh, and about a 1.5% increase uh, for defense programs. And Republicans have said that is a non-starter. Uh, we've heard repeatedly from House Republicans that they want a higher defense number uh, and a lower non-defense number in order to reach agreement on these bills in a bipartisan manner um, that they'll need to get through the Senate later this year. And they also want Democrats to go back to kind of previous agreements on particularly the federal funding for abortion issue, but also some other changes they've made throughout the bills to longstanding, um, you know, appropriations policy language. And so that's going to be a big debate going forward. Um, and I think it's going to be really, you know, the biggest thing I think we're going to need to see is when congressional leaders in the White House really get in a room to try to negotiate these spending levels. Right. But we should know, we did see some movement on this front, which was very interesting this week. Um, on the Senate side, where you see Republicans make this push for greater defense spending than, than the, the Democrats want to give. And we did see uh, in the, the Senate defense authorization bill came out uh, Thursday uh, with a boost for defense spending beyond what Biden has has offered, and it won bipartisan support in the Senate Armed Services Committee. That was the first sign here of some movement in these spending levels where defense might get a little more. What this bill would do is, if, is give defense about a 5% boost in spending compared to this current year whereas Biden only wanted like a 1.6% increase. So a little bit of movement there. It doesn't mean that much yet. It's only an authorization bill. It's sort of funny money. It's not guaranteed. It's not appropriations. But it's a signal, I think, that there was in the Senate support from both parties for at least a little more give on defense spending. Now, that's, that's still not going to satisfy Republicans entirely. And it may worry a good number of Democrats, because that means non-defense spending has to shrink a little unless they're going to expand the total top line of the budget pie, which doesn't seem likely. Right. And so I am curious to see how this conversation in Senate Armed Services advances um, and what that means for the defense appropriations bill in the Senate if and potentially when we see a defense appropriations bill from the Senate Appropriations Committee. Um, and so while the House committee has marked up all dozen of its bills and House Democrats are bringing some of those bills to the floor, we have not yet seen an official formal schedule from the Senate Appropriations Committee for when they may begin debating these bills. Um, you know, there is, uh, you know, some people who expect the Senate Appropriations Committee to begin markups the first week of August 
it sounds like three bills, um, agriculture, energy, water, and military construction BA, possibly transportation HUD, um, but that is not yet clear either, uh, but not the defense bill. Um, and so, you know, when we may see that bill come out of that committee, which is, of course, where the real money for the Pentagon is, is in the appropriations bill, not the authorizing bill. Um, I think that's going to be an interesting thing to see if Senate appropriators follow authorizers um, kind of lead on this. Right. Where do things stand, Jen, among Senate appropriators? Uh, do you really think they're going to get anything done here before the August recess? I think that remains to be seen. Um, there's sort of a lot of shaky agreements happening uh, in the Senate right now on dozens of different topics and whether or not we'll see any of them uh, sort of work their way towards the finish line remains to be seen. But there is real interest from Senate Appropriations Chairman Patrick Leahy and Ranking Member Richard Shelby to do some debate in committee this year, especially when they did not mark up any of their bills last year. Uh, I think really the issue here is what funding levels they write these bills to, um, because Leahy has called for bipartisan bicameral negotiations on those overall spending levels, which have not begun yet. Um, and Shelby is calling for true parity between increases in defense and non-defense spending. Um, sort of, you know, if you raise non-defense by a dollar, you raise defense by a dollar as well, um, which Republican, which Democrats have not particularly liked uh, in the past. And so I think, you know, what they do over there depends a lot on, um, you know, what signals they get from party leadership about what they can or cannot agree to on funding levels. But even though there is no agreement on funding levels, there's still talk from Leahy of pushing some bills through committee as early as this coming week? Uh, well, the first week of August, so not exactly this coming week. Um, but just, it could we could count it technically as days if we wanted to. Um, but we have not seen an official schedule. Uh, it sounds like, uh, you know, the Agriculture, Energy, Water, Military Construction, VA, uh, subcommittee chairs and ranking members are, you know, really working towards marking up that first week of August that they kind of expect it. Um, but there is still no official schedule for that. And so that's kind of what I think a lot of reporters and others who track the appropriations process are waiting for before we can say for sure, for sure, uh, that there will be some markups before the August recess. And there's still also potential, too, uh, for markups when the Senate gets back uh, from the August break uh, in mid-September, uh, possibly with defense in that group as well. But all that is still very uncertain. Of course, always a little tricky to start marking up bills before there's any agreement on what spending levels should be. So that's going to be We'll have to see how, how much they can get away with that there um, as we go forward. But also, we should say all of these bills, for the first time in a decade, uh, are expected to contain uh, earmarks, these pet projects that lawmakers want to insert in the bills, which can help, uh, which can help build political support for the bills. How is that going, Jen? Uh, a little bit different. In the House and in the Senate, David. Um, so both uh, House Approves Chair Rosa DeLauro and Senate Approves Chairman Patrick Leahy um, announced a formal return to earmarks or congressionally directed spending or community project funding or whatever your chosen phrase is for these home state and home district projects. Um, and so there's new guardrails and new transparency mechanisms in place um, for this process. Uh, and on the House side, it's gone 
pretty well in terms of the Republican appropriators that I've spoken with have all sort of referred to the the process as sort of fair and transparent um, and that they feel like the Democrats have worked pretty much in good faith with them on the earmarks process over there. You know, they said that they've hit a few bumps here and there, but that everyone mostly expected some sort of smaller hiccups during the first year um, of the return to earmarks. Uh, The Senate is a little bit different than the House on this front. Um, Originally, before Leahy formally announced a return to earmarks and that floor speech, um, he said that he would split earmarks with Republicans in that chamber 50-50, which would very roughly be about half of 1% of discretionary spending for Republicans and then the other half of that 1% of discretionary spending for uh, Democrats, which is that cap on earmarks that both chambers have for the upcoming fiscal year. Um, but there's been a little bit of back and forth happening on that in the last couple months. Um, you know, with Leahy saying that he intends to honor that 50-50 split agreement if Republicans participate in sort of a significant way. But we've never gotten a clear kind of benchmark from Democrats about what that definition of sort of significant participation is. Um, And so this is very much an evolving situation right now, um, because, well, I believe 48 of 50 Senate Democrats have requested earmarks um, from the bills that have sort of passed those deadlines for public disclosure. I think our current number of Senate Republicans requesting earmarks is 16. Um, so, you know, if there were to be a 50-50 split, uh, you know, those Republicans would probably get a significantly larger percentage of their projects funded than Democrats. And so there's a lot of back and forth going on on this right now, um, which is going to be shaking out, you know, heading into those potential markups the first week of August. Sounds like it's getting a little messy over there on the earmarks and how to divide them up, but we'll follow that debate as well. So a lot going on, and we'll be, we'll be covering the big House floor action next week on these spending bills, the first of the fiscal 2022 season. Uh, one programming note, we have not forgotten about the big infrastructure talks, but uh, the Senate did not agree to, take, to proceed to that measure this week. They're going to try again next week, so there'll be plenty of time to talk about that in our podcast next week. And we'll see if we get a bipartisan infrastructure deal by then to talk about. In the meantime, we'll be covering the appropriations bills. So stay with us for that. That does it for us today. If you have any questions or comments about our podcast, we'd love to hear from you. You can always drop us an email. The address is cqpodcast, one word, at cqrollcall.com. The CQ Budget Podcast is produced by CQ Roll Call a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company. Thank you all for listening. I'm David Lerman, your budget tracker. And I'm Jennifer Shutt, budget and appropriations reporter. You can always stay up to date by subscribing to the CQ Budget Newsletter. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, NPR One, or just Google the phrase CQ Budget Podcast. And we'll be back next week. 